It is Monday the 23rd of March and this is the Monocle Minute today. Why is the UK being so slow to react? I think that and it's amazing that whether you've been looking at German papers or Italian papers, all eyes have been on what's going on in the UK. Monocle's editor-in-chief Tyler Brulé reflects on the coronavirus outbreak. Then we hear about the bike shops on the essential business list across the US and our affairs editor Chris Jermak looks back to the crash of 2008 and where we are now. I am Marcus Hippie in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. And we start today's Monocle Minute with a look at last week, a week of which the world has never known anything like it. Monocle's editor-in-chief Tyler Brulé reflects on what we understand so far about the COVID-19 outbreak. He joined Andrew Muller, who started by asking Tyler if it was possible to sum up last week's events. We've seen that if we look from a European perspective, if we look at Schengen, and if we just look at Europe as we know it, that uh, there is not one joined up set of measures. And so it's just been interesting to look at what have lockdown measures been, uh, you know, looking at supply chain on the other side, even just the tone and the style of presentation. And so there's been so many different levels of leadership, which should be expected. But I think when we think about certainly the EU project, that we would have thought that things would have been a little more knitted together and a little more lined. I think the second thing that we see this week is how the UK is really a little bit out on its own. I think it's been fascinating just watching what have been the lead stories in other countries. And a lot of people have been looking at London and the UK saying, you know, why are they following this policy? You know, why is the UK being so slow to react. I think that, and it's amazing that whether you've been looking at German papers or Italian papers, all eyes have been on what's going on in the UK. And I think of the third thing to sum this, this week up is the world of sort of telecommuting and homeworking lovely concept great to sort of maybe sort of cut down on your office and real estate bill i'm not sure everyone's up for it that's obviously an one of many adjustments we're going to have to be making i just wanted to pick up on the thing you said about tone governments employers everybody in any position of responsibility for anybody else has to negotiate that balance now between telling people what the facts actually are and of course avoiding panic which in this, as in all circumstances, will just make things worse. When you look around the continent from Zurich, does it strike you that any national or business leader does seem to be finding the right tone? And of course, everyone has different circumstances, levels of infection, treatment, and obviously the resources to deal with it. I would say that here in Switzerland, the Federal Council, and of course, for those who aren't familiar, Switzerland is a very different system. Switzerland almost works like a, a company board that you have seven people who are ultimately leading the country. Uh, you have a rotation of who is president here. So this real sense of stability, which a somewhat newcomer to the country, I've enjoyed watching how that works. And I think they were on the back foot maybe two weeks ago. You saw then really the government step up at the start of this week. I think there was a great level of leadership and dialogue and how they run their press conferences. So they haven't done too badly here. For the moment. What's been your sense so far of how media organisations, of which, of course, we are one, are adjusting to this? It is obviously a massive story. It is going to drive enormous audiences potentially to media organisations as they either try to find out what's happening or just find a way of filling suddenly very long and empty days. But, of course, media organisations will have to do that with constraints on their resources and obvious constraints on where they can send people. 
No, for sure. And I think there's so many levels to that story, Andrew, because on one side, just now we saw that uh, one of the biggest private media companies in Switzerland has uh, applied for what is Kurzarbeit. I mean, this is sort of a an employee government relief program that the government will go and back salaries up to 80% for a fixed period, roughly 90 days. That's a significant move. It just shows you that so many companies' coffers you know, are you know, really not that deep. And they rely on, of course, their subscription numbers. They rely, of course, on advertising to keep them ticking over. So is this the moment for the BBC to reinvent itself? Do we see a new day for the ABC in Australia, you know, CBC in Canada, etc.? Could be. So I think there's something there. But I think when you come down to how do you get out in the world and, and cover things, this is a problem. I mean, we're, yeah, we've got a May issue to get out largely commissioned and certainly almost on its way to its printers. But then what happens with June? What happens with the whole supply chain around that? The good thing I can say, I think I was talking to someone from Bloomberg uh, yesterday, the bureau chief here in Zurich. He said that they've seen subscription numbers, you know, going through the roof or at least, you know, signing up a thousand new people a day. And the same thing for us, you know, not to uh, to beat our own drum at this time, but we're having our highest listening figures ever. Um, we're seeing our daily newsletters, which started as a light service, Andrew. You know, now this is actually an essential, essential bit of reading, obviously, for tens of thousands of people every day. So it's all great. But it, the big question is then how are we able to monetize it? And how are we able to, of course, get our people out around the world when we see advertising being canceled? people not wanting to be associated with these times and all the biggest companies in the world looking at their balance sheets. That was Monaco's editor-in-chief Tyler Brule speaking with Andrew Muller. And now to the United States, where bike shops and cyclists are proving to be critical in ensuring city life can continue in the face of temporary business closures. Here is Monaco's Nick Manis with the story. Philadelphia and San Francisco have both included bike shops on the list of establishments that are to remain open in the face of citywide temporary closures of non-essential businesses. It's a decision that reflects the increasing number of cyclists in many US cities as people shirk public transit and taxis in an effort to limit the spread of COVID-19. The decision, and uptick in riders, underlines the importance of cycling in allowing businesses and daily life to continue. It's a timely reminder that a good bike network will ensure a metropolis's wheels can keep spinning in the face of a pandemic or other crisis. Let's hope it's cause for a chain reaction too. With more people riding bikes, US cities might find that they have the critical mass required to justify further investments in cycling infrastructure going forward. It's time now for today's column. Here is Monocle's affairs editor, Chris Jermak. What a strange feeling of deja vu. A sudden crisis triggers a massive economic meltdown and politicians, slow to act initially but upon realizing the severity of the situation, step into gear and promise trillions of dollars in bailouts to keep businesses from going under. I speak of course of the fall of 2008, when I was a young Newswire reporter in Washington DC. I was thrust into covering financial instruments I didn't understand, bailouts of sizes none of us could fathom, a historic U.S. election that would result in the first African-American president, and emergency global summits I never thought I would have the privilege of attending. What I particularly remember from that time is that everyone was caught off guard and learning on the fly, including us journalists. There was also no appropriate multilateral architecture in place to coordinate a global response, so one had to be created. 
The G20 brought together world leaders from the 20 most important economies in November in an unprecedented show of force and unity in defeating the enemy. Obviously, a virus is very different from a financial crisis, but that doesn't mean we should have been caught off guard. It's far easier to understand how a virus spreads across borders than it was to explain how failed mortgages in Florida could bring down a bank in Germany. So it's ironic that now that we actually have multilateral institutions in place, few seem to have had an interest in using them to ward off the crisis earlier. It's taken until this week for the G20 to plan a meeting, which will be held virtually to coordinate a global response. A tremendous shame these kinds of steps weren't taken sooner, but here's hoping that a united show of force now can still have a calming effect, just like back in 2008. My thanks to Monaco's Chris Jermak. Then, elsewhere on today's agenda, this Thursday the European Parliament will hold an extraordinary meeting to reduce the impact of the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. Most of the 705 MEPs are set to vote remotely on the three-item agenda, which includes a 37 billion euros aid package for member states, an extension of the EU Solidarity Fund to cover public health emergencies, and an end to so-called ghost flights that airlines are running to keep hold of precious landing slots. The crisis has meant normal work has mostly ground to a halt, and that seems to include Brexit negotiations. For now, the UK is saying it will not be seeking an extension to the current 31st of December transition deadline, but given the circumstances, it is likely only a matter of time until that changes. On Friday, the snappily titled Philippine Atmospheric, Geophysical and Astronomical Services Administration announced an end to the country's monsoon season and the arrival of the dry season. In other words, what many in the Philippines call summer has now begun. The onset of true heat will be welcome. There is evidence that connects temperature and humidity to coronavirus infection rates. Rising temperatures, some hope, will signal relief to the 57 million under lockdown. And touring artists have seen the bulk of their incomes disappear due to cancelled gigs. But Canada's National Arts Centre, along with Facebook Canada, have launched a new initiative to pay Canadian artists in return for live online performances. Dubbed Canada Performs, the series allows entertainers of all stripes, musicians, comedians and more to apply for grants in return for 45 to 60 minute performances that will be broadcast live in the weeks to come. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I am Markus Hippi. The Monocle Minute returns on Tuesday. Yeah.